everyone. I'm Kumre, your host at the One Soccer Nation podcast. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Yanni Salasidis. Yanni is part of a rare breed of emerging leaders in world football. He works as an individual coach analyst with professional footballers in MLS, Scottish Prem, and top flight in Sweden. Yanni is also a technical director and first team head coach at FC London Soccer Club. FC London is a Canadian semi-pro soccer club based in London, Ontario. Yanni, thanks for taking the time for joining us today. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's funny where that serendipitous moment in uh, Miami led to this. I remember I was taking like a random detour at the convention there at Soccer Rex, and I turn a corner and there's this booth talking about stadiums and infrastructures. And I was looking at the walls and then you turned around and said, hey, can you take a photo of us? Uh, and then that's when we started to chat. And it's kind of cool that it's led to this moment. Yeah, so we met down in the magic city soccer x miami super cool yeah that that booth was a good booth there they do architects build stadiums and stuff like that so it was super super cool to connect with you in person i always like to meet people in person and then have them on the podcast so we hit it off the bat when we connected and i was like man we got it i gotta have you on the podcast so you know one of my favorite questions to ask is can you just take us back in time and just share how you got involved in the beautiful game Okay. Uh, look, there, there's two different paths involved in playing and involved in coaching. Like playing for me started as early as I can remember. Uh, and it was in the backyard with my two idols, which were my two older brothers. Uh, and usually the tale has it that the youngest of the three usually is the talented one, but it wasn't the case with me. I was, I was the, the little grunt, the worker, and my two older brothers were, were pretty talented. Whenever they had the ball, it was hard to get it off them. And when I did, I had to value it because you probably weren't going to see it for a while. So those moments in the backyard where you are daydreaming of playing in a World Cup final and yeah, those were special moments and that lit a fire in me that, you know, carries on to this day. And then coaching, you know, coaching always kind of called me as early as I can remember. I was the, the player on the pitch who, for whatever reason, had the armband on. Coaches saw something in me and I was constantly barking during games constantly giving instruction, constantly uplifting my mates, clapping my hands on every little play. So I guess the coaching was always kind of in me that way. Um, and then you, you lead to all these these cool moments and, and random events. Like I started coaching officially in inner city programs uh, through the University of Winnipeg. And I was very fortunate that a guy named Fabio Capone had seen me run a session at the time. Uh, he's an Italian fella from my hometown. And he said, why don't you come out with me? Uh, I'm at an academy here. Why don't you come and watch me coach? Uh, and he was actually picking me up and paying me to watch him coach. And then we'd get into dialogue after his sessions. We'd challenge each other. He'd ask questions. And then slowly he started empowering me and giving me more responsibility. And yeah, that that turned into a friendship that's still going strong today. It's kind of crazy looking back, thinking about where where that all started. That's amazing. I want to dig back a little bit further and get a little bit more information in regards to like, where did you start playing? How old were you? And then how far did you go with your playing career before you, you know, started getting into coaching? Yeah, like, I think it was Robert A. Steen River Rats was the home community club in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So that would have started as early as four years old. Um, and then I played right through uh, all the levels in Winnipeg, played on the premier teams um played with uh Hellas which is uh, a men's side in Winnipeg who went on to win a national title 
And then I played in the inaugural seasons for the University of Winnipeg, uh, who play in the U Sports, which is the highest level of university in Canada. And I also played in the inaugural season for World Soccer Academy Winnipeg, which was at the time PDL, which is now known as the USL. Um, and it was that first year university where I really started to get the coaching boots on um, and get my hands wet. And the, the humbling journey of learning and failing forward continues on still to today. Sir, can you share the most memorable success story of a player or coach you discovered, developed, and dispersed throughout your career? Yeah, the, the discover, develop, disperse model is, is really a talent ID model that's applicable in any field. Uh, and the discovery doesn't mean that you're the person who made the talent, but you're maybe one of the first people who saw that talent, uh, who helped see a talent uh, in a person who maybe didn't see it themselves. So I've been very fortunate to come across some pretty cool people. Uh, and I'll share this one. This is a unique one, but this is actually a coach who I'm currently working with at FC London. His name's Garrett Peters. I met Garrett Peters in the High Performance Center uh, during my time in Saskatchewan. I was there as a high performance coordinator and Garrett was on a C license course, which I was uh, tasked with delivering, facilitating, uh, and he just stood out and I just couldn't help but think like, who the hell is this guy? It, like he's come from Regina, Saskatchewan. No, no offense, but it's very rare for, you know, people to come and make stories out of Regina and the prairies. But this guy had everything. Like he had everything. He had the charisma. He had the energy. His relationship with players was phenomenal. And I immediately like knew like this guy's coming to work with me. Like I want this guy around me. I want his energy around me. I think I can grow him. I also think I can learn from him. Right. So he was one of the first people I recruited into our regional center in Saskatchewan. So I was responsible for overseeing 36 of the most abnormal female youth soccer players uh, in the province. We were one of seven regional centers responsible for filtering players up through the national team. Uh, I was on my own when I first got to Saskatchewan. There was no staff around me. And with 36 players, it's just not possible. But because of budget constraints and the realities of SAS soccer, uh, I had to find creative ways to get people in. So one of the ways I got Garrett in was a promise to invest in his education, uh, a promise to invest in his development as a coach. So we immediately empowered him. We brought him into the program and we made him a, a unit coach. So he was our forward specific coach, right? And he played a huge role in elevating the program that way. Then some things changed in the trajectory. COVID happened. I had to leave SAS soccer. I ended up moving to Ontario and Garrett was the first guy I called. I picked up the phone and said, look, FC London has one of the most prestigious women's programs in all of Canada. Would you want to come and take this gig? Uh, and initially he said no, uh, and he had some time to think about the opportunity and how rare it was, and he ended up grabbing it with both hands in the end. And I'm very proud to say that, you know, he's had back-to-back semi-final seasons in his first two years in League One Ontario, which is kind of cool. And he's already sent two players off to professional environments. One of the players he's worked with uh, has now been invited to the National Centre full-time in Ontario. So she's now part of the full-time national stream. So that's just been a fun journey to watch him grow and excel as a leader and how he's putting his own fingerprint on things. So, Yeah, that's so cool. That's amazing. In regards to, you know, bringing in um, coach talent and, you know, investing into them, what are three things that you really look for in a person to say that 
yeah, I really want to bring him on board and, and give him this opportunity and also invest in him or her. I don't know if I have like three things, Cream, where it's like, do they meet these criteria? Because what I found with people is like in the first 21 days, you get to see some of the habits, some of the, the tendencies of people you know or work with. And then it takes about six months to understand their lifestyle. And then it takes a lot more time after that to really understand and uncover the root of that person. So what I'm getting at with that is it's often a feeling and it's a feeling that changes based on many interactions. But if I were to say right away off the get-go, there's got to be a feeling of authenticity. There's got to be a feeling of, of kindness and warmth. And I have to feel like an intensity. There has to be an intensity in people, players, coaches that I work with where it's like they're here and they're nowhere else. Like they are so present in this moment with us. Um, and I can't really articulate that. Maybe I'm not doing the best job of, of saying that into words. But again, it's, it's more of a feeling. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I've experienced that in the conversation with you back in Soccer X when we spoke in that engagement. In your role as a technical analyst and IDP coach at Calgary FC, how did you integrate individual development plans to enhance both teams and their performance at your time there? Yeah, so the time in the CPL was was a precious one. I, I got to give a ton of credit to Tommy Wielden. He was one of the first leaders in Canada to open the door for me. Tommy's the, the head coach and general manager of Calgary FC. Uh, and we met on an A license. And it was actually during a period of my career where I was going to take a year off football uh, I had been coaching so intensely for eight years. I'd actually even hit burnout uh, a couple times. And I was like, you know what? I need a year to breathe. And he said, no, 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 just come in. have a casual role with us. You can do some opposition work uh, and then we'll just take care of you. So he put me up on the huge acreage in Spruce Meadows, beautiful facility where they have the football pitch and a world-class equestrian setup. Uh, and initially it was just supposed to be opposition analysis and opposition work on opponents. And that role very quickly changed. Uh, I ended up getting heavily involved in the training methodology. I ended up getting heavily involved on match day. So I was sitting up in the tower doing the live tactical analysis. And then I'd run down at halftime, deliver tactical details to the staff or directly to the team. And then a big part of that role was working one-on-one -on -one with the talents. So Calvary had recruited a very unique crop of young players. Guys like Karifa Yao, who are now at... Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, Dan Klomp, who just recently won Player of the Year and Defender of the Year in the CPL, Mo Farsi, who's currently going to play uh, this Sunday in an MLS final, Victor Latoure, who's now playing in the Scottish Premier League, and the list goes on. So there was a ton of young talent there. And really, the, the, the guys weren't used to individual work. So the training was so intense. These guys were giving everything they had, and then of course, they'd do their gym work. There'd be some team meetings. And then after that, it was rest and recovery. So I would have to pull the guys into meetings. Like I'd have to pull them and be like, look, you're going to want to come and look at this. And what I found was some of the best sessions we had were, were kind of the unstructured ones where I'd rock up in a pair of sweatpants. We'd meet at the, the office because a lot of the guys were living on Spruce Meadows as well. And I'd kind of play it off like, hey, guys, we're just going to watch some footage and have a, a cool chat about football. But in the background, I had questions prepared and I had ordered my clips in a way to make it a structured meeting by making it casual. And over time, the boys started to really enjoy that stuff. They started to crave it and they started to ask for more of it. 
And then the meetings got more intentional. And then we'd work a lot on the, the individual within the team concept. So with guys like Mo Farsi, who, again, he's going to be playing in Sunday with Columbus against uh, LA. That's going to be a great final. For him, it was a lot of off-ball work. He had never came up in a, in a professional academy like many of the other players had. His background was futsal. He was playing high-performance, uh, I guess, youth academies. And then he came into pro football. Tommy took a chance on him at Calvary, saw something he liked in him. So that's a big jump. So his off-ball needed a lot of work. And it was a lot of questioning. It was a lot of curiosity. It was a lot of what can happen next in this moment to raise self and situational awareness. And then from there, he started to drive the meetings. It was like, well, how do you want to come alive on the opposite side? Where do you really want to be when we don't have the ball on the opposite side? So it was about defending and attacking when you're not in possession, which is 99% of the game. And if you watch him now at Columbus, he's one of the most electric guys off the ball. Right? He's constantly creating threat. And we're still working on those fundamentals today. But now we're at the level of we've gone from exploration to the minutia of like the positioning, the moment, the direction, and the speed of his actions. And it's about the 1% gains every time. So for a 23-year-old to be in the final and to be a sponge the way he is, that kid's got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Yeah, that's so that's so amazing to hear. Futsal, you know, futsal is soccer, but it's definitely smaller. It's a different size ball. It's heavier. It's faster. So for him to transition into into you know full eleven v eleven soccer, what were some key things that you had to really help him with in regards to improving his game on the field on the eleven v eleven side pitch? And now, obviously, your your the work you've done with him has helped him reach the heights of MLS. He's about to be in the final Sunday, so I know you're going to be watching that game. I'm going to have to follow up with you and say, "Hey, did they win?" But what you know? What did you really have to put into him to help him get to where he is today? So, so he's, he didn't transition just from futsal. So he had played youth soccer. He had played adult soccer. He just had not come from a professional academy, right? So he'd missed some of those moments on, you know, off-ball positioning, game awareness, right? And then some of his mechanics were different, right? If you think of futsal, futsal is a lot of feet, feet, feet play, a lot of using the sole, which is great. But very rarely do you receive in behind. Very rarely do you receive a ball on the run. Right? So it was about reading motions. It was about how do you create invitations with your movement, Mo, so that when teammates get their head up, they see you. Right, And then it's about timing. So we worked a lot on those things, and we're still working on them. Right, And, and Mo still has some mechanics that are very futsal-esque that are huge benefits for him Right, in terms of unbalancing players. And then there's different moments like tempo dribbling. The, the tempo dribbling is completely different in futsal than soccer. Just the angle of where the foot goes, using the laces versus using the inside of the foot. So we work on those things. And just to tell you a bit about the type of guy Mo is, he has a final this Sunday. And yesterday we were on a call mapping out his pre, uh, preseason. I should say pre-preseason. So I'm going to go visit him in his hometown in Quebec. We're renting a facility and we're going to get right to work as soon as the season's done. So he's just wired differently. So it's not a matter of like, I'm the guy who's made Mo. I think Mo is always on a trajectory. I'm the guy who's illuminating some of his strengths and asking him tough questions to take him one or 2% further. So. Nice. 
what is the process as a coach analyst that you take behind the scenes before you engage with players? What are the what are the things you do behind the scenes before you engage with players to help them improve their game on the field? Yeah, so as a coach analyst, like the it's a it's a new role, let's say, in world football and that a lot of the work can be done remote or in person, but coach comes before analysts. So you're actually acting the same way a coach would act. So it's about seeing the best in a player. It's about helping them see a version of themselves they don't already see. And then the analyst part is, of course, how are we analyzing their game? So my entire process is always review a full match, capture the moments specific to them. And why is that important? Because in the modern day, a lot of players don't get the individualized time they need. As a head coach with the full-time demands that you have, it's near impossible to meet with every single player week to week to create individual development plans week to week. So my role is to reverse engineer the team intentions or the team models and then deeply understand what the individual roles are within that team model. And then it's how do you illuminate that? So with a guy like Mo, it's a question of watching every single one of his games and then creating mini reviews, seven to 10 minute reviews that are just about him. All of his actions, transitions, attacks, defending, moments of mentality. So how does he persevere, deal with adversity, right? So for instance, last game, he was involved in a in a group error in the semifinal that led to a goal against, right? And the side went down 2-0. They ended up coming back to win 3-2, right? So it was about, well, what really happened in that moment, right? And it was a question of his space preparation. And then you engage in dialogue with them. So it's like, well, where was your mind at in this moment, right? Like what's holding you back from doing the things we know you can do? And then I would sprinkle the detail on top. So it's a lot about, you know, when you talk about talent, removing barriers, removing limitations, and it starts with questions, right? And some of the best questions are about getting you rooted in reality. So in terms of the process, the questions I ask players before I start giving details is, tell me what you see. Tell me what you see in this picture, right? Can you describe and explain the problem? Once we get them to clearly describe and explain the problem, it becomes easy to then say, well, what can happen next? And what can happen next is a questioning of solutions. And then you can ask how questions. Well, how can we create the solution? And that's where we get into even more detail. So the process starts with first creating a situation where they know and feel this is just about them. It's about understanding as a coach analyst, they're part of a team. So what does the team need from them? And then how can we get them identifying problems? And that's what a problem solver is, right? Ultimately, that's every coach's job, not just a coach analyst's job. But again, because of the realities, some players aren't getting the time that they need individually to thrive. So that's kind of a snapshot version of of how we work with players. Got it. And you're very intentional, very organized you know, through this conversation that I'm understanding your process and you have really great communication skills. So, you know, how has there ever been a time where you were explaining something to a player and they weren't able to, you know, fully intake what you were saying? Do you ever have that trouble with communication or are players always being able to consume and digest the information you're sharing and apply it on the field? You know what? I'm, I'm very grateful. I get a lot of compliments that people are like, wow, you, you explained that so simply. It was so clear. Uh, the reality is that wasn't always the case. Uh, I study a lot of the game. I love it. Um, and with that, I get a lot of details. I get a lot of practical procedural knowledge. I have a lot of methodology. I have a lot of 
let's call it gold, I say, which is the details in football. And early on in my career, it was about giving that gold. It was about stuffing it down people's throats, players and coaches, and that can be overwhelming. So what I just shared with you was a process to help players discover that for themselves. So that's my role is to ensure that they understand that it's coming from them. They have the autonomy to choose. They have freedom within their decision-making. They feel good and they feel competent because they discovered the solution, right? And what I'm saying is I didn't always do that because I didn't ask great questions. I just gave a lot. So my communication skills early on in my career were not good at all, which was linked to my awareness. You know, it was linked to me thinking, well, if I know something and I tell you something, Kareem, you should now know it. Well, no, it doesn't work like that, right? You need to first have some type of comprehension. Then you need to go and experience it then it becomes yours, right? So communication for me has changed. It's, it's about simplifying things. It's about asking better questions. And really that's a matter of meeting people where they're at. Got it. I, I really like that. Meeting people where they're at. That's key. Um, for any coaches or future coaches watching, I, sh I should say, what advice would you give to them in regards to breaking in and getting to high positions? You've, you know, you've, You've been with Calgary FC in the Canadian Premier League. You know that's Division One pro soccer in Canada. Um, you've been in, in some top positions. What advice would you give to them in regards to breaking in and becoming the best coach that, coach that they could be? Dare to share. Dare to share. Everything started with me with creating content and putting it out there in the universe. Whether it was on Twitter, whether it was sharing with leaders. And, and don't get it twisted just because you share something doesn't mean it's good. doesn't mean you're going to get a reply. But I was constantly sharing my honest reflections and learnings. I was constantly sharing the questions I was asking of myself with the universe, right? And then with that, you, you start meeting different people. You start making connections. Um, and some cool things start to happen from there. So it's a question of, are you really creating content and can you share it? And a lot of times there's that imposter syndrome that kicks in where it's like, Oh man, am I, am I worthy to put something in the universe? Who am I to create something and share it? I'm not Guardiola or Klopp or no, it's okay. It's okay. And, and a lot of times that journey starts with copy to create. So you copy someone else and you put it out there and that's okay to start like that. Everybody does that. Nobody owns an idea. Now don't try to be someone else, but take someone's framework, adopt it. Then you get humbled and realize this only works for this person in this context, but I'll take this little principle. This one can work. This one is timeless. This piece of wisdom will stay with me. So it's a question of daring to share and then be relentlessly curious. Be unapologetically curious, right? So are you genuinely reflecting on everything you're doing, right? And then do you really have it in you to think about the player's needs? And a lot of times there's coaches that want to think, I'm going to use this player as a stepping stone to get to A, B, C, and D. That doesn't work. You may get up the ladder quickly, but that slide down is just as quick. And I've seen that. I've seen it in people. So are you genuinely invested in the player? And if you're genuinely invested in the player and you're genuinely doing good work, good things are just going to start happening. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, you reminded me of, you know, when I wrote my, my first ever book, I wrote it at 18. I, you know, gained the confidence to finally publish it at 19. But you mentioned, um, Am I good enough? It sounded like, am I good enough to, to do this? Am I good enough to create this video and share it with the universe? And 
it sounded like you had that challenge. So how did you come over that challenge? And for the viewers listening, um, really tune into what Yanni's saying in regards to this, because it's a big one. If you want to go to the next level, you got to put yourself out there. If you want to be in a position like where Yanni is right now, what advice would you give to them? Well, I, I don't know what advice I can share. I just know for me, my upbringing was one of always like in survival mode. So, you know, I didn't come from uh, abundance. So a lot of times I was on like search and threat uh, alert, which is like basic survival instinct. So for me, it was constantly like, oh, if I do this, maybe it's it's not healthy for me. Or if I do this, this could be a perceived threat. So I was constantly protecting myself. And then you create the habit in this shell that like, you know, is it okay to share something? Am I going to be scrutinized and judged? Uh, and is that going to be the end of me if I do? And the truth is, no, it's not. Uh, everybody has those fears. Everybody has those those feelings. There's a great book by Pippa Grange called Fearless. Um, I highly recommend it. She talks about two core fears, like the fear of abandonment and the fear of not being good enough. Those are the two core fears that everybody has. So once you realize that, you're like, well, where did those come from? Well, those are basic survival instincts. You can overcome them. As a technical director and head coach at FC London Soccer Club, how do you implement a playing style and build frameworks to create a cohesive team strategy? I think what you're asking is, is how do you develop adaptive teams and players, which is what the modern game is asking, right? So I have a, I have a very clear philosophy, like, I see the game of football as like there's two teams and these two teams are in constant interaction with one another, right? They're in relentless interaction through time and space. And each team is comprised of different subsets of relationships, right? These relationships on the team are governed by agreed upon principles. These principles give rise to the actions and the expression of our style of play. So the coach's role is about aligning our relationships, our principles and our actions to a team intention. For instance, we may not want to create a final pass from a certain zone. So if we don't want to pass from certain zones, what we do is we create a collective affordance that, well, we do want to make our final incisions from this zone. So when the ball enters this zone, we need to all agree that we're available in front, in behind, in between lines, not once in a while, all the time. And if not, why not? Right? That's the role of a coach. So that's what it means to align intentions. Now, in football, you're going to have different problems. The problem in football is the defensive setup. You may have five chains, four chains, different defensive structures. The defensive structures set the rules of the game, what spaces they occupy, what their orientation points are, right? And then your job is to manipulate them, right? It's how do you create and use spaces? How do you create and use stretches in the oppositions to create the incisions from the zones we want to create from? If you don't have that agreed upon team intention, you have chaos. You have players cooking their own soups. You have individuals who are not aligning to a team intention. And we know in a 90-minute match on a pitch size as big as uh, the one used in this sport, things can get very random and very chaotic. So it's about reducing that chaos. It's about creating alignment, right? And then obviously that team intention needs to be variable. So that's what it means to create methodological frameworks. So it's about how does your match plan, your training methodology, and your player recruitment tie into that, 
right? And then how do you work with individual players? Well, the individuals need to be very clear on their space preparation, their communication. Communication is not just verbal. It's their scanning and awareness, right? And if you have everybody constantly scanning and giving information, we create this collective intelligence in our team, right? So the currency of football is the scan frequency. So if me and you are playing on a team together, Kareem, and I'm passing you the ball during that ball travel, so the second I hit it to the time that it comes to you, are we scanning in the same direction at the same moment, taking in the same information sources? That doesn't mean we're going to make the same decisions, but it means we're on the same page. That's when you can start anticipating. That's when you can start adaptations. So the methodological framework is about being more adaptive and more efficient and effective with less space in less time. And it's important that coaches are doing that. And the reason why is you're not going to be with a player forever. And, and I'm in a semi-professional league and working with academy players where I don't know where they'll be in three to five years, but I know that we're going to give them a base of adaptability that will allow them to flourish in any system, in any environment so that they can come alive more often. Nice. Chaos. Chaos, chaos. Individuals, soccer is a team sport. How do you keep players aligned on the goal? Players also have along their journey, maybe some want to go to college, some want to go to university, some want to go pro. But they're here together playing with the same team. How do you keep the players aligned? Yeah, we have to agree on the team intention. Right. So the team intention isn't, okay, this is my way. This is how I want to play. It's a proposal. It's an idea. It's guys, this, this makes sense to us. Does anybody agree or disagree? Does anybody have a different proposal? Uh, and then you create these affordances that are shared and affordance means possibility for action. Right. So it's all about how do you get your top players in the right moment, in the right spaces more often. So once we have that, players feel when it clicks. They feel when it works. Now, you may have the odd individual who wants to cook their own soup, uh, a player who wants to go off script. Now, you need Mavericks like that. But if there's players who aren't doing this, but instead harming the team intention, that's where coaching comes in. It's about showing video. It's about raising awareness. It's about saying, hey, here's a clip. Can you walk us through what you were trying to do there? Right? How did this help the team? And then you get honest responses. It was, well, maybe I thought this was the best solution. Well, did you recognize the problem? Okay, well, maybe they didn't. Or maybe they tried a new solution, but they just didn't execute it well. That's fine. That's okay too. So video is a great tool for raising awareness, right? And we have to be on the same page. I use the mirror analogy all the time. Like if you think of 11 players on a pitch all holding a mirror, if I were to click a laser pointer, that laser should be able to hit every mirror and go to goal. If someone's mirror is not aligned with everyone else's mirror at the right angle and the right positioning, the laser is not going to hit goal. At some point, the light source gets cut off. So we need everybody angled and aligned the same way. Right? And if not, it's about collective conversations. Right? There's a difference between coaches who tell stories to motivate players, and then there's a difference about story living. And what I mean by that, story living is about bringing up tough moments as a collective. So if a player is maybe against the team intention, we'll talk about that as a group. We'll bring that up and we'll have those tough conversations. And then players within the group get to ask those hard questions too. I love that. You know, video is such a great tool to use. Um, I was, you know, as a person and player, I was, I never liked boundaries. 
So to, to get that reinforcement as a person or a player has always helped me improve and reach that next level. So it's such a great tool. And to hear you say that, I haven't heard that in so long. That helps players see what they're doing wrong and be able to adjust and improve. That's the best thing to be able to improve. Yes, and it's not that we wanna we wanna limit a player like you must do this, but it's it's about limiting everything that can happen because the possibilities are limitless in a game. You can you can do many things, but it's about saying you know here's your four or five options. How can we reduce that to the three best ones based on your profile, Kareem? Based on the space you're in, and based on the relationship. So you knowing the quality of your mates, who wants it to feet, who wants it to space. Let's reduce that to three, and then you choose and you come alive. Now the variable becomes the defensive problem. Okay, in one game, maybe there's someone who's tightly marking you. In one game, maybe you're loosely marked. So can you recognize that, but still make the same three to five decisions that we need you making? So that's the simplicity that we're trying to give to players. And then I believe that's the framework for creativity. That's the framework that allows you to come and express more often. How do you balance individual coaching and tactical analysts? And what challenges have you encountered while working with players in different leagues, such as the MLS and Scottish Premiership? Yeah, so the first thing you got to know is the context that you're, you're helping a player within. So a player playing in the MLS has completely different uh, realities to a player playing in the Scottish Prem or uh, a player playing in the, the first division in Sweden, right? The playing styles are completely different as well. And one of the biggest challenges for anybody who's, who wants to get into the field of being a coach analyst is it's not about your team. Like you don't get to choose the playing style. You don't get to choose the playing model. And I will never contradict the manager. Maybe they don't align with the principles that I would coach here at home, but that's not my job. My job is to understand their model as best as possible and to ensure that the individual I'm working with within that can come alive in that model. So one of the things is sometimes you'll get a player who, who may want to create outs, who may say, you know, I don't know if I agree with the coach or this or that. And it's like, I nip that right away. That conversation is not going in that direction. That's not why we work together. What does the team need from you in this moment? Let's reframe. So that's one of the biggest challenges is how do you help a player within their team intentions? And you need to be able to reverse engineer. So working with Mo, I had to watch, you know, 20 plus games of Wilfred Nancy before really understanding what he wanted from Mo, right? And then it became clear. And then it was like, all right, Mo, let's work within that framework. Here are the relationships around you. Here's how you work with your 10, your nine, your wide center back, your ball side six. You know, this is what happens when the 10 rolls out or hits the channel. Here's the spaces you can come into. I'm saying that quickly with you. With Mo, I'll ask questions to bring him to those solutions. So that's the biggest riddle is how can you reverse engineer the team intentions? And then how do you bring your player alive? And reverse engineering team intentions is all about reading perception action. It's about reading the cues that the team's giving, right? And then you can help better attune that to the players you're working with. You mentioned coach or manager and then your position as an analyst. You know, it's, it's kind of bringing me in my mind as a, I'm thinking as a player right now, how many, as a professional soccer player focusing on the MLS, how many people are, um, is that player communicating with? You got the coach, the manager, technical analyst. How many people is that player really communicating with to make sure they're doing their job? They got their yeah, physical therapist. Who else? Yeah. Do, they got, they got, do they have somebody watching their diet as well? Like, yeah. That's a great question because you know every context is different. 
right? Uh, some teams, like uh, the player I'm working with in Sweden, they do a lot of video. Like he's they're in the video room for 30 minutes a day, which is that's quite heavy. But those are the demands. That's the reality. That's what the coach wants. Uh, in other environments, there's players who say we we don't have any meetings at all, right? So it constantly varies. That's why for me, like I, I, there's a lot of players that reach out that want to work with us, but the players I'm working with at the moment are players who I know really well. They're players with specific character qualities that I admire, and they're players who I just believe that need a little bit of help. And with a little bit of help, they can take another jump in their career. Um, so it varies, Kareem. It varies. But you have to be able to sense make that. You have to be able to understand that, right? So when I'm doing a session with Mo, the last thing he needs is a 30-minute review with me, right? With Mo, we've gotten to the point where it's like five, 10 minutes, in and out, couple questions. Good luck, brother. Have a good week of training. We'll see you next weekend. Right. So it's about knowing what they need. There's other players where sometimes there's some conversations that aren't football related. And then we get into the football because they just need that. They're away from home. They need that touch point. I'm a bit of familiarity for them. So it's all about knowing what the player needs in that moment. Nice. I like that, man. I like that. People first, player second. Yeah. Um, I want to end off with some some fun questions. You know, what are your thoughts of the 2026 World Cup being hosted by Canada, U.S. and Mexico? Cool as hell, man. Like, what what a dream. Like, if you think of the most popular dream in the world, it's being able to to play in a World Cup in your own backyard. At the same time, you know, I'm like, I'm scrolling on social media every now and then, and I just keep seeing all over the States, like, people are building new facilities, new complexes. Like, every day, it seems like there's a brand new facility in the States. So I think they really understand the momentum that can be created when one of these events comes to your continent. And and I'm struggling to see a bit of that in Canada, which is a bit worrisome. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's some new momentum there. I'm speaking with the city here in London, Ontario, to try to bring a couple street soccer courts. We don't have that here. So I'm working really hard uh, at night to try to put some plans and proposals in place, meeting with city council to to get a piece of land and at least have our legacy piece. But if anyone's listening to this in Canada, it's like, find a way, find a way to 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 stamp your mark and leave a legacy because these events don't don't come often and we're we're less than a few years away. So the time is now. Man, this is crazy. I could never imagine in our life the world cup the World Cup coming to Canada, US and Mexico, man. This is like once in a lifetime. We're we're gonna experience this. And I I definitely hear you out on uh in regards to the momentum in Canada. In regard you know, I'm on the surface level, I'm not on the inside and hearing information in regards to what's going on, but as you mentioned, and in regards to the U.S., publicly, there's a lot of announcements, clubs popping out of USL, different leagues, left, right, and center, different different stadiums being built. It's just, it's it's so exciting. And that's like one of the reasons why we've went over with One Soccer Nation to the U.S. That's why we're growing over there, because there's no ceiling over our roof. There's so much juice in the orange to squeeze. And But I'm excited to hear any announcements coming out in, in, in Canada, especially with the women's, you know, first division. Uh, league coming out very soon so a lot you know some cool stuff happening yanni thank you so much for taking the time for joining us on the one soccer nation podcast thanks for having me kareem